wellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to A Quirky Journey, the healthy family podcast with your hosts, Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab. Welcome to A Quirky Journey. This is your host, Fuad Kassab, and I'm back from a massive trip. And with me today is my best friend, Joe Witten. Joe, hello. You're back. You're back. I am. <laughs> I can still speak English and everything. Oh, I'm so, I I'm lost so it. Relieved. Still got it. Still got it, Joe. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I heard you singing a little Lebanese song earlier. Can you just sing it for us? So we can start the intro with that. Uh, that wasn't a Lebanese song. No, I no, heard that you was earlier. The ramblings it. of a mad, mad brain <laughs> that is extremely jet lagged trying to get a sentence out. So, <laughs> Joe, please don't embarrass me in front of my friends. <laughs> Come on. Uh, It'll be fun. Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing well. You survived. I survived without you for a whole month. I wouldn't say it without you. Like every time I woke up, I looked at my phone <laughs> and there was a message from you. It's that's not, true. That's true. Though. Yeah. I didn't get a help. break from you. Just, you can't have a vacation with, with Joe. Then. What? Sorry. I'm saying I can't have a vacation when I'm, you know, your business oh, partner. I hardly it's bothered just, you at all. Well, not you know, not as much as you usually <laughs> do, for sure. Comparatively, <laughs> comparatively. <yeah. laughs> I I did miss being here and uh, doing this, so oh, it's good to be good. back. Yeah. I'm really happy to be back. Well, uh, we, we missed you on our journey. last podcast, although we had fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you talked about a, a topic that probably was best discussed between you and Nat. That's so, true. It, it, That's true. you know. I wouldn't have been able to talk much about my cycle and all that kind of stuff. Hey, I didn't either. Oh, okay. (laughs) No, it was was a good podcast though. So if any ladies out there missed that one, you should totally listen to it all about girl stuff. So yeah, that was the last one. But now we're back. So definitely back. A very interesting topic today. Yeah, we're talking about uh, low dose naltrexone. Um, which is an incredible medicine that um, I've heard uh, about from a few friends and uh, the online community. And it just sounds like it's too good to be true, really. And we thought that we'd get someone in to talk about it and to um, just see what what this thing is about and to see whether it does hold value for people. And it's a a molecule. um, Basically, the drug was um, is called naltrexone, and it was used for... um, heroin addiction and drug addictions back in the 70s, I think. And um, what this doctor found out that if you gave it in really, really small doses, so very low dose, that's why it's called low dose naltrexone, it actually uh, helps regulate your opioid system and it upregulates this mechanism that allows your body to heal. And it's just sounds amazing and we thought that we'd get the person who wrote the book about this to come and talk to us on the show and it's not something that we usually do we don't usually talk about drugs on this show because what we prefer to talk to people about is alternative practices and uh, talk to people about how they can get well by changing their lifestyle and the way that they eat and uh, reducing stress and things like that but also there's no harm in looking at drugs where they are helpful. And this seems to be one of those drugs that is actually quite helpful. It has no side effects and it's been shown to have a lot of benefit in clinical practice. And 
there's a there's a lot of science on it, but it hasn't made it mainstream. And we thought it would be really good to get everyone on the show to listen to this podcast and get an idea with, of whether this kind of drug will help them or not. Um, I haven't heard of any other podcast yet in Australia who's discussed this, or uh, I haven't met any Australians who have I, discussed this. Yeah, I'd yeah. never heard of it before. Fuad told me about it, but it was fascinating. I first heard about it on Chris Cresser a few years ago, and he was he raves about it. And he's a health practitioner that uh, he's based in the United States, and he was one of the people who helped me heal. So I used to read his blog a lot and listen to his podcast a lot. And he used to talk about it all the time and um, mention it uh, when it came to autoimmune diseases and that kind of um, um, the patients that he had um, with those. Uh, illnesses like autoimmune, he would get them on low-dose naltrexone, and I didn't really know about it. I didn't even know that naltrexone was something that people use for drug addictions or anything. It's, it's not really my world. Uh, but then I, as I started reading about it, it sounded fascinating. And um, today's episode is really a, a huge eye-opener for m- me and Joe also. I, you know, you, yeah, you, start thinking, from- you start thinking of people that would just like really want to know about this. So I think this will be really helpful for a lot of people. Um, So as a word of caution, don't self-diagnose. Don't say this is going to help me. This is not going to like, don't promise yourself too much with this drug. It might be really, really beneficial, but go through the standard channels, go to your doctor, talk to them about it, see if they are open to, to this uh, drug, give them resources. We get into this during the podcast. You, how to approach this with your doctor um, because um, a lot of the doctors will hesitate about prescribing this because it's the what you might go for and ask um, your doctor to give you a prescription for is not actually what naltrexone is on the label for so it, it, it's called off-label use which means that the doctor is prescribing it and assuming the um, responsibility of giving you a drug that isn't actually recognized to help you with your autoimmune, for instance. So um, there's a, it's a bit more involved to take this drug than to just go ahead and go to the doctor and ask him for a pill. Um, this is not what's going to happen with low-dose naltrexone. If it is suitable for you, your doctor needs to know your uh, case. They need to know that this is going to be uh, potentially beneficial for you. They have to... Um, also assume the same responsibility with your compounding chemist, the person who's going to put the drug together for you. They need to all be in agreement that this might must be beneficial for you before they can prescribe it. It's, I mean, it sounds prohibitive, but it's not. There are uh, a number of doctors around Australia who are doing this, and you should be able to find one locally. And we get in the podcast, we get into how how to do that too. Um, but again, a word of caution: don't jump into it uh, too far and and try to. Um, self-diagnose go through your doctors and um, make sure that it is suitable for you and find the right doctor for you as well and not all doctors are going to understand or believe this so you might have to go through a few first but it holds a lot of promise and it's such an interesting thing to to look into and i really 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 hope that this information becomes more mainstream and is treated with the care and respect that it should be treated with and not you know just become another one of those things that people are just dishing it around, like this is medication. You always have to be careful with it. I'm emphasizing this point a lot, Joe, because yeah. I worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, um, that's that's really what the podcast about is about today. But um, before we get into it, we'll chat a little bit 
catch up me and Joe and see what we've been up to. Joe, you've been to the Gluten Free Expo recently. Yes, I have. You missed Tell it. me about it. Well, Tell me about your glorious experience at the Gluten Free Expo. We missed you for a while because we had a lot of heavy boxes to carry. Oh. <laughs> so Emma okay. and I went to the Gluten Free Expo in Melbourne because um, I was going to be down there anyway for um, some classes I did for Thermomix. And so the Gluten Free Expo was the two days before on the weekend. So, I, and a couple of people asked me if I'd be there. And I thought, well, you know, this is a good opportunity to share our gluten free whole food cookbook. And um, I started having some feedback before the expo from people who'd been to it before and followed quirky cooking. And they said, well, you know, Joe, it's kind of the thing that I went once and I wouldn't go again because there was a lot of, it was just pretty much packet food. And I thought, okay. Well, we're going to be a shining light in the gluten-free expo of whole food. (laughs) (laughs) So we got there and we set up our stall and um, made it look all beautiful and we put baskets of fresh fruit and herbs and flowers and, you know, made it really colourful and um, most of the other stalls were pretty much packet food, as we were told that it would be. There was a couple that had, like, um, bliss balls or there was a there was an organic butcher um, you know there was a couple of stalls like that but not many most of them were sadly um, sugary starchy packet food processed highly refined not nutritious foods like most of the food there probably was in that category there was things like um some stalls were selling things like coconut flour or, you know, basic ingredients, which are whole foods. But I think what most of the people coming to the Gluten-Free Expo were looking for was um, substitutions for their, you know, in our in our society. Um, They're gluten packet foods. Yeah, glute, gluten packet foods. Yeah, you know, in our society people really heavily depend on breads, pastas, cereals, pizzas, uh, you know, muffins, donuts, um, crepes, crumpets, all of those Stop it. I'm getting a sugar (laughs) spike. I'm I'm getting an allergic itch right now. It's been like I was there at one time. I'm not having a go at people for this because I was there at one time and I remember when I first started changing over to trying to get rid of the gluten and the processed foods, my thinking was, okay, so you change it over to gluten-free, dairy-free, and then it's healthy. And I thought that's that was going to, you know, solve my problems, but it doesn't. Um, and I, it, took me, it took me years to work through all that. You know, I was just constantly taking all the usual recipes and swapping them over to gluten-free, dairy-free. Um, and... I mean, I was trying to go whole food as well, so that did help. But the constant sugars and stuff. I remember years ago one of my friends saying to me, yeah, you're doing all this, but you're still eating heaps of sugar. It's like sugar, sugar, sugar. And I, at the time I didn't get what she meant because I was thinking it's natural sweeteners, you know. Yeah. But it was. It was just sugary food and I still had all the blood sugar spikes and the, um, you know, I'd crash at 9 o'clock every morning because I was just living on carbs and I was always hungry and I wasn't getting the nourishment I needed and I was still sick. And it wasn't until I swapped over to 
um, you know, getting rid of all those starchy, carby, sugary foods and going towards the really highly nutrient dense, the highly nutritious foods um, and mostly vegetables and meats and broths and all those sorts of things that we talk about all the time. That's when my health improved. And I noticed, you know, a lot of people that I talked to at the Gluten-Free Expo, they were at that, you know, they were at the beginning of their journey like I was once and they had, you know, just found out that they needed to be gluten-free or someone in the family was just diagnosed with celiac disease and it was very overwhelming for them and they were so excited to be at a place where they could buy everything gluten-free and I understand their excitement because I would have been just the same. (laughs) But now I just think, wow, um, it's funny how much my diet has simplified over the years. Like now I don't, I hardly ever have breads or, um, you know, anything like that. Now and then I'll make a homemade grain-free bread or muffin. Um, Sometimes we'll have a a grain-free cake or we'll have like your your fuad dough, we call it the fuad dough, the grain-free dough in the yeah. in our cookbook, yeah. and we'll make something with that. But it's not an everyday yeah, thing. Occasional, yeah. yeah it's occasional. And um, I mean, it's, it is it's delicious stuff. Like yeah. there's no like there will never be a day where I go, well, p- pizza's just for losers or something. No, like it's it's delicious. You know, it that's is. why that's why people all around the world eat it. But um, I mean, the track we've is, come to this point now where it's just so like pizza every day you yeah, know, or, or some form of that kind of food which is you know grain based doughy and then with stuff carby. on it either in it or on it or you know yeah. like um, like burgers and pizzas and sandwiches are all variation on dough plus something mm, you know yeah and um, pasta you know you, you know, know joe what really sort of worries me with these types of expos or not the expo itself but those mm. products yeah um like you have someone who has been sick mm-hmm. and they go oh my god i don't know what's wrong with me and then they go to a doctor and the doctor goes uh you know you're fine and for years you say like you know just you know you're okay like everyone gets bloating after dinner or and, you know, and diet has nothing exhausted. to do with it <laughs> yeah and then you know they they hit a doctor and the, the symptoms become much worse yeah. and then they see a doctor and the guy goes all right well let's uh, or the lady sorry um, I, they, they'll do a biopsy or they have a look at you know some blood test and say oh you've got some celiac you know you're prob- you're a celiac and they can detect that because the person's just become so sick and the gut is, is just horrifically right. damaged yeah. you know and then they're like oh my god I'm so sick and they go what do I do and, you know, avoid gluten and then they go into this place and they've got like mm, delicious packet foods full of like <laughs> you know corn syrup and yes. uh, preserved and additives yeah. and vegetable oils and yes. um, all sorts of really rubbish ingredients. Yeah. And they're putting that into their body and it's just, you know, they have this really terrible digestive system at that point because yeah. they're celiacs, you know, mm-hmm. like their, their digestive tract is, is completely damaged yeah. and they're putting that stuff in their mouth and they they just don't know better. They don't know what it's going to do with, and they think because it's gluten-free it's going to be fine. But there's you know, a lot like arsenic is gluten-free. doesn't mean it's good for you. <laughs> well, um, I, and also, you know, I think of my sister when she was going through um, salicylate problems and all of that and she was trying to eat the, oh, what is that diet, the RPAH diet or whatever it is, the one where they take away all the salicylates and FODMAPs. And like every second okay. person I talked to at the expo said they had issues with FODMAPs as well, which was really interesting. It's all gut health. It's all gut health re- yeah. related. And, and my sister would say to me, 
um, like she'd eat heaps of sugar, like as in just white sugar all the time. And I was like, you can't, that's no good for you. You can't have it. She goes, no, it doesn't make it's me react. Free. She said, it doesn't make me react. It's my friend. I'm like, no, yeah. it's not your friend. And I think that's the trap. When you first start down this road, you think, well, if it doesn't make me react, it must be okay. Mm-hmm. But it can be damaging. You could be doing deep damage in your gut. Um, yeah. And you, you feel like it's not doing anything, but it's gonna, the bucket's going to overflow. <laughs> Again, dear listeners, avoid <laughs> starches that are refined. Mm. Avoid preservatives. Avoid vegetable oils that are highly refined, like corn oil, soy oil, soybean oil, um, um, canola, uh, grapeseed oil, um, sunflower oil, um, the, the box standard stuff. Right? Instead, if you want sunflower, you can get high olive organic stuff. Um, avoid uh, margarines and uh, avoid sugar. Mm. That's like just white sugar that's added the into your food. Avoid something that glucose. that doesn't, yeah. Um, preservatives and additives and colorings and flavors. When when something's in a packet, it is dead. It has no life in it. It cannot give you what you need to be alive. You just can't live uh, out of a packet. You have to eat fresh living foods. You have to. Otherwise, you will not thrive. That's why you're here in the first place. That's what made you allergic to gluten if you ha- have these problems. Mm. It's because you've been eating that kind of food. And you ha- have to understand that now you've got an issue with gluten. doesn't mean that if you take it out that you're going to solve your problems. Mm. No, you have to address the way that you, you have to eat traditional whole foods. That's the healing, only way out of it. Healing food. Amazing. Amazing that there is such a huge industry mm. that is capitalizing on people's disease Sickness. and giving them the wrong advice and essentially making them sicker. Yeah. But capitalizing on them for the period of time while they're gullible enough during their transition mm. to a whole foods diet. Some of them will never make the transition. Some of them will just continue to get sicker and sicker and never get out of it. It breaks my heart. Yeah. But if you're one of the people listening to this podcast, we're telling you this is not the way a human being is supposed to eat. Yeah. You should be eating healthy, living, whole foods, seasonal if you can, local if you can, pesticide-free if you can, prepared at home if you can, eating with your friends and family if you can, and just stop eating things out of a packet. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, I understand, yeah. you know, the occasional you're out and about, you've got to buy something. So you look for something gluten-free because that's your best option. You know, I, I do that myself now and then and, and it's not always um, something that's not refined because sometimes gluten-free bread, you know, is what you can get. But I would much prefer to have a highly nutritious meal. If I can get it, that's what I look for. So steak yes. and salad or, you know, chicken and veggies or get a roast meal or something like that and I find usually you can find a good option and um, yeah I just really felt that there was a lot of parents there with lots of little kids that two sometimes two or more had celiac disease Mm. and um, you know they were they were struggling to keep up and I tried to you know, we had a good chat with a lot of people and I talked about how I really had to learn to simplify my food and realize that, you know what, you don't actually need to bake 
constantly and always have breads and cakes and biscuits and muffins coming out of your kitchen to to no. to um, replace what you you're missing out on. You can just mm-hmm. focus on the real whole foods and, and soup, have, man. Yeah, you know, like soup. how hard is it to make oh. soup? Yeah, I mean, yogurt with some fruit for a snack or some nuts, or you know, we've we've just simplified so much and it's made you my life to. heaps easier. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you we did. To. You're not trying to compete with a restaurant or a, a food industry, you know, yeah. like to, to, you're not trying to do that. You're not mm. a patisserie at home. You know, this is yeah. this is not normal. It's not normal to eat that way. Um, it, it's been normalized, but it's not normal. Yeah, people just at home should be eating simple stuff like yeah. simple traditional food. Yeah. Anyway, buy our cookbook. You'll find it all there. <laughs> but it was good to talk to lots of people there who said, "Oh, thank you for being at the Gluten Free Expo because you know I'm walking around finding I can't buy hardly anything, but it's so good to see you here talking about real food and whole food and." We had some lovely chats with people and we also had some chats with people that um, felt like they learned something from us. They had um, been helped by us talking about gut health and real awesome. food. So that was it was it was worth it. It was a lot of work and I was exhausted afterwards. <laughs> but it was good. Well, Tell yeah, us about I mean, what you've been doing though. Sorry. Oh my god. I <laughs> Where do I start, Jen? I know. I You've got yeah. a whole month to tell us Oof. about. Come on. <laughs> um I won't get into all of it, but no. um, I, I did a few days in Singapore on the way to Lebanon to see my family. Sounds and amazing. I was just amazed. I loved that city. It was just beautiful, full of really, really beautiful people. And yeah. um, I was really looked after there by the Thermomix team in Singapore. And um, they're just like, I, I feel like I have a second family there. Um, and um, I met Su Chin as well, who's... Um, the the manager at Thermomix mm-hmm. Singapore and she's a an amazing cook and she um, she knows all about Asian food like you know the same geekiness I have about the Vietnamese stuff she she knows about <laughs> the Asian world which is much vaster like she she knows a lot about you know and all these different cultures in Asia mm. and their foods and what how they do stuff and. She was just like the best person ever. I, I, like, I fell in love with this one. I actually asked her to marry me and stuff. <laughs> and uh, um, but uh, it, it was just so awesome to be there. And they showed me around Singapore, and I ate so much stuff, good uh, and bad, you know. And, and I, I durian. Had a it was pretty funny there. about the durian. What did you call uh, it? Uh, it was like rotting sweet roadkill or something yeah <laughs> and it really was it, it was like this oh, it had this kind of like the first bite was definitely the most like disgusting um because because the, you get given dur- durian is this fruit that is um very famous in asia because it it smells like you know bin juice you know <laughs> uh, it, it's, uh, it has to be sold wrapped in uh, plastic Otherwise, like the stench will like fill the streets, and you can't. You're not even allowed. Like the signs in the taxis that say you're not allowed to eat durian in the in the taxi, or, and um, you know, like you'll be burping durian for a day or so after you eat it. And uh, sorry, I'm just telling you like, that's what happened. And um, we got this durian, and it's like a little packet, and it was like twenty five bucks or something for that packet of durian which we we shared <laughs> and um they serve at room temperature which i still think is a big mistake i think it needs to be slightly chilled yeah. and when you bite into it it has this kind of skin on the outside and it's really kind of soft custardy fleshy on the inside oh. and it's and, and it's kind of biting like 
like biting into flesh, you know, it's like, <laughs> and, and so it has this kind of skin and, you know, it's kind of creamy on the inside and oh. juicy. And, uh, it's like biting into a sweet rotting steak kind of thing. But, uh, <laughs> and the first, and, it, and it's really like at first, all this kind of training that you've had as a human being to avoid rotting food, because that's yeah. sort of our, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's what our instinct tells us is that this stuff is going to kill that. us. <laughs> yeah, it just all comes in force into your head. And you're like, oh, you know, look what's happening. Like, I shouldn't be eating this. But then, you know, like you get this kind of really intense aromatic and um, all like super complex flavor huh. that comes out of it. And, and the texture is just really creamy in your mouth. And you kind of get over that first hit of like, you know, Grossness. rotting grossness and um and it be- it became like really delicious after that so i ate i ate the whole thing and i oh. really like but I, I would eat it again if it was uh refrigerated but they also say they don't refrigerate because the fridge ends up stinking uh. of it for for months as well so <laughs> you know you have to have a dedicated durian fridge there you go um but what i found really singapore was amazing it's got like it's a very multicultural city uh, predominantly Asian and um, Indian, and people from uh, they are either Chinese or Malaysian or Indian. That's these are the three major um, people who are create the population of Singapore with other ethnicities in there as well. It's um, multi-religious as well, so they have different different types of um, religions, and they're all uh, living side by side happily. Um, you know, they have no problems with each other. Um, it's completely, you're completely free to uh, to your re- religious rights. Uh-huh. They, um, if you're from an Indian background, you're supposed to like the the government forces you to t- to learn um, your mother tongue. Same for wow. Malaysians and Chinese. So you have to learn the, your mother tongue. You're not allowed to just uh, speak English or something like that. You have oh. to learn. Yeah. So that that was pretty cool and. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, so they preserve and encourage cultural diversity, and it's a very clean city. So it's like Asia for beginners, really. So like mm. I've been to say Thailand. Um, I mean, of course, Tokyo is, is a bit of an exception. Most cities, like Tokyo, is an incredible city where like food is very, very safe, and you don't worry about food poisoning. But most countries in say Southeast Asia, um, you'd worry about food if you're going to and India. Like I've been, and the water, yeah, mm. we you, you kind of you're fine with that in Singapore. Okay. Singapore is yeah, really really good. Um, and um, but the problem is, I went into the supermarket. Um, it's a very small island, Joe. So it's yeah. it's really tiny. Like you need 25 minutes from anywhere in Singapore, yeah. and uh, they don't really grow their food there. And um, yeah. what they do is they import everything. So I, I in the supermarket, I saw you know. I looked at the beef. I'm like, ah, oh, that's Aussie beef, you know, just by looking at it. Huh. And it was like true, you know, the science at Australia, you know, yeah. and then there's stuff from New Zealand and there's stuff from Mexico, uh, America, uh, Brazil. They have some stuff from uh, South Africa, uh, the UK, mm-hmm. um, Portugal, uh, Vietnam, Thailand. Uh, so produce that basically came from all around the world with very, very little stuff grown in Singapore itself. And um, as to me, it was really a, a model city. Like if, if the whole world uh, behaved like Singapore and lived 
together like Singapore does, it, w- it would be a very beautiful planet to live I've on. I've heard that um, in their in their high rise apartments, they uh, make sure that they mingle all the different cultures. Yes, um, yeah, and so yeah, they don't segregate. They're yeah, nothing segregated. Not, Isn't that great? No. It's mm. it's amazing, yeah. And, it's a good and idea. people, yeah, they're all Singaporeans working side by side, basically, and they they respect each other, and um, they're genuinely nice people. Like just every taxi driver who I spoke to was just super nice and uh, friendly, and very happy to be in Singapore, and you know, like. Uh, telling me about how great their city is and how much they love it and um, how safe and happy they are and you know and um, but but the only thing that I, I looked at that really scared me was the fact that they didn't grow any of their food and they have a huge food security issue that's that's a big problem and I, it's one of those things that I know that the world is heading towards massive food shortages and massive water shortages, and we're seeing that that's going to happen more and more. And so it kind of worries me a bit about what's going to happen to them. They're going to have to depend. Um, you can't just you know, go in your backyard on, and grow some food. No. Well, there's no backyards, you know. No, it's mostly all uh, units. So, yeah, I mean, if you're extremely rich, you might afford a house. But very few people do. It's very, very, very few. More, even really well-off people there are living in units and um, no access to, you know, a green space to grow your food. They just don't do it. Um, so, yeah, and, and they just import everything. And it was amazing because going into the supermarket there, it felt like going into the supermarket in Sydney. And they had pretty much all the stuff that we have here everywhere. Like, it's just, you know, like um, with a lot of Australian produce, a lot. Uh, a lot of Australian products as well on the on the shelves, um, and international stuff. So they have it's crazy the amount of food that goes through there. And twenty two percent of Singaporeans um, may cook at home; um, the rest don't. So we have seventy eight percent of Singaporeans that eat out three times a day: breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Wow! Is on the street. Um, they do have good street food, though, right? Um. They have incredible street food. Yeah, they have they have you know all that Malay, Chinese or Indian street food everywhere. So they have all these three cultures doing street food, and um, they you'll get like um, right next to each other. You can get like a dish from this place, a dish from that place, and dish from that place, and sit down and have a meal at the table with your friends. And you know you have you're having all this stuff. Um, in the same place. It's beautiful. It's, it's really, yeah, it's something else. But of course, I mean, um, it, it's super cheap. So that means that the ingredients aren't the best. I honestly had a headache for those like three days that I, that I was there. I, I, I wasn't coping. I was trying to drink as much water and I just couldn't really get shake the headache. Maybe it's MSG in the food or I don't know what it was but um but it was really delicious food and i overate for sure um <laughs> but you know it's hard not to when in rome yeah, yeah, it. <laughs> it is hard not to and um you know uh, you're there sort of to experience that culture but but you tend to overeat really easily when you're on and, holidays um, that's that's the yeah. thing yeah yeah, and one of the like the things, the statistics that they shared with me there in Thermax Singapore, they were giving me all, all these articles to read about, you know, the health issues that the Singaporeans are facing. And diabetes is their number one thing. Okay, and wow. Their prime minister 
has declared war on diabetes. Like, you know, full full scale war. He's got all this, you know, ground troops ready. <laughs> but, uh, I love I love how we declare war on our bodies. Oh, we shall declare war on this vehicle which I use to get around. Like, don't, why don't we just like instead, you know, love it a nourish little bit it. and try nourishing it? Yeah. But anyway, it's it's been a declaration of war. I mean, nations need to go to war, so that's fine. Um, that's how they they continue to justify their existence. I don't I don't want to get too political, here. but anyway, uh, um, you know, we we were told that one in two um, Singaporeans of Malay background over the age of sixty have diabetes. Wow! And wow. six in ten of Indian background. Uh, have uh, diabetes. Hmm. Can you hear Sophie singing in the background? Yes, it's very cute. <laughs> uh, uh, Sorry, guys, I'm not going to tell her to stop singing. No, uh, she, you she's can happy. Enjoy it. <laughs> she is happy. So, uh, um, yeah, frightening statistic. And yeah. it puts a huge burden on the medical system and it's just crazy to, mm. to know that that's actually what... Um, what they're facing and um you know they they're being told to eat less coconut milk and stuff like that mm. um, because that's going to worsen their diabetes and um you know all the wrong advice of oh. course um eat and hopefully bread. you know me pardon eat more bread <laughs> yeah less fat less fat less fat they're being told to eat less fat when their problem is blood sugar regulation yeah so um so I don't know. Like they, I, I can't propose an answer. And that, and you know, people there in the talks that I did asked me like, what do we do? We import all our food, and uh, we don't have traceability here. We we don't have. I can't tell you this is organic. I can't actually get organic eggs in Singapore. I can't get you know get these things. And I said, well, you know, like I I'm not here with a solution, but I'm here maybe at at first to point you to the fact that there is a problem that you have that needs to be recognized and um, at first you need to accept that this is a problem that you have and uh, my job is to point you to it and then from there your job is to create demand for the things that you need so that the supply starts existing and then you start asking for organic eggs and you start asking for all these uh, things that you you know are good for you Um, I'm not I'm not, you know, able to change food policy in a country. Like, it's not, <laughs> you know, I can't do this. But You're pretty I awesome, but you're not that awesome. No, that's no, <laughs> right. You know, like, <laughs> maybe in the you know, you know, next 10 years from yeah, now, I'll right. start yeah. working. You know, <laughs> Wake yeah. up to it. Um, no, that's right. I'll, I'll see how I, how I go. But, you know, okay. I've, I've done too many foolish things in my youth to be sort of be able to run for president. Right? So <laughs> uh, let's forget about it. They'll check your but, Facebook um, page. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, let's not do that. He has really bad jokes. He's, uh, yeah. He likes puns a lot. Yeah. Um, so um, <laughs> um, it, it, it was really a bit of an eye-opener eye for me. Mm. And for them, like, I think a lot of people got it. You know, a lot of people got this um, this message and they felt uh, empowered by it. I got a, an email yesterday from a lady that I met whose kid is anaphylactic to pretty much anything. And Aww. she doesn't know what to do. And 
um, and she's uh, getting onto GAPS now and she's mm-hmm. feeling really positive and um, she's scheduled a, a Skype call with a GAPS coach and oh, you know it's awesome. just really, really great you know uh, and even if it was just that person that I was able to help you know yeah. it, was, it was great but well, that's exactly but it, it, that's exactly it you know you you just get the message out there and you don't know who you're helping really like especially like with this podcast we don't know who's listening no it may just no. start the chain of thought happening and yeah. you start well, at first you know, I thought that no one was listening yeah, you know that's right. this spot. so and guys if you're month, listening had, what, let 70, us know <laughs> downloads that was yeah. amazing hey Joe yeah you see that yeah so really thank you so much guys yeah, for tuning you. in to this podcast and um, we know we yeah, chat a lot we, but you know we enjoy yeah, it yeah well <laughs> I guess, you know, like at first we didn't want to chat too much. We want to get to the topic at hand. But um, we recognize also that a lot of you listeners out there don't have anyone to talk to about this stuff this stuff with mm. and that this might provide some form of uh, conversation even, uh, you know, that can play out. It's one sided, but so that, you know, you feel like you have family around who can you can talk to about this stuff. And, and we this is all we think about Joe time mm. even all the time is how, how to address these things in our own family, how to improve our own health. Mm. First, that's always been the biggest thing for us is to make sure our family is, is healthy. Yeah. And then the definition of family is getting extended day by day to include you who's listening out there. Yeah. So um, <laughs> th- thanks for joining the family, Mr. and Mrs. Kassab. And, um, <laughs> you need and, to talk about your yes. family that you just visited in Lebanon. Oh, yeah. so, I haven't got to that yet. Um, wow, we're all already 40 minutes into this uh, intro. That's a yeah. long intro. It is. Sorry, um, guys. We have a lot of catching yeah. up to do. <laughs> we do. Um, look, maybe I'll, I'll uh, talk about that maybe a bit more in the next episode. Um, but um, I, I had an amazing time in Lebanon and uh, I reconnected with childhood friends and um, it gave me a lot of perspective on my life going back there. I, I left in 2001 and, you know, I've been visiting bit by bit, but um, this visit was definitely my favorite. I, I um, yeah, I feel more energized uh, to be myself again um what what i mean by that is what there are a lot of things like i've, I've grown up a lot here as a human being like I've, I've matured here and there's a lot of stuff that i thought i was over like i was over a lot of uh, you know childhood obsessions or ideas and things like that and i thought i was over them like i'm having i have a really peaceful life in the mountains and you know, once a month, Joe and I go travel and we see the world together and we talk to people about food. And I come back and I have a, a peaceful life. I don't worry about much in my life and I don't have ob- obsessive ideas or wants or needs or anything like that. And I went back to Lebanon and uh, all these old kind of behaviors that I thought I'd, I'd outgrown were actually just dormant in me. And they started coming back um, in like really strongly and the first week was very very difficult for me because i was going like Whoa, what the heck is happening to me like why do i feel this way like i'm feeling like i haven't felt like this before and then i realized that these were just like certain emotions and ideas and wants and desires that i had gone dormant and then going back to lebanon they awoken uh, and um well what happened was a uh, I felt like I felt a great deal of sadness towards the end of the trip, and um, and I was trying to understand why I was feeling so sad. And I realized, you know, I was reading this book 
about fasting a few months ago from Stephen Harrod Buhner, and he defined fasting as letting go of something. He said, you know, you feel sad when you let go of something. And I realized that, you know, there was all these ideas that I had about what I wanted to do and be and own and things like that, that, that I had as a, as a young person. And that on this trip, I actually realized I'll never be able to achieve them. I'll never be able to uh, do those things. I actually don't even want to anymore, you know, do these things. And, um, and I let go of them. But with letting go of these ideas, which is very, very freeing, there comes a bit of sadness because you sort of emotionally invested a lot of you know, ideas into them or time or energy or emotion into these things. And they're just purging out of you and, and you feel sad. And that's what I felt. So, um, you know, it was, it was great. It was really good uh, to, to go through that. I feel lighter and uh, I feel, um, you know, I'm just calmer, even in my own home here yesterday. And like I got, I got to my house yesterday, not, not yesterday, on Friday, but yesterday I had a, uh, a day where my friends came over when we, we had lunch and uh, my friend Ludwig and I uh, um, basically went on the trampoline and we just lay down and looked at the sky and we, as we were chatting and, and uh, we just went silent for a while and, and I, I just went completely quiet, like in my head. And I, I got a sense of home for the first time in a very long time and an understanding of what that means. And I, I came to know that being home is where the world ends. Like all that stuff that I can, I go out and do outside and do all these things and, you know, all this stuff that uh, I have this mind that's not switching off. I have the ability to switch off at home and to just see. Yeah, just feel peaceful, you know, f just feel really, really peaceful. And But it took that purging that happened in Lebanon for that background neuroses, which all of us have, you know, we, ha we have a brain that's always jumping from one thing to the other, you know. But for that to switch off, it took that kind of, pro it was necessary for me to go back home and face those things again and let go of them and then come back here and just experience peace and being at home and that was just uh, yeah no no that's fine go okay uh, uh, and it was a like a beautiful light experience for me which uh, really i think I've, I've only felt for the first time ever like i've only first yeah felt this kind of like just happy to just be for the first time and not want anything yeah yeah just silence just you know i was just there on the trampoline it's funny you know? i was just a couple of days ago thinking about the same sort of thing and the words always come to mind um, when i think of family and home i always think of the words the quiet center of my life you know like you go the, the, the quiet, quiet center, center right? of my life and it's like you go out and you do these seminars and these trips and these expos and it's flat chat the whole time. Like we just pack a lot into our trips and like you with going away for a month, it was flat out the whole time. And when you yeah. come home, it's like <sighs> you can relax and you just breathe and you just you can have the silence and you can have the quietness and it it's very grounding. It's very um, special. And people often say to me, why don't you do – all the seminars and everything in your home area. And I said, because a lot of times when I get home, it's like that's my time to retreat from the world. That's my time to have yeah. that quietness. And 
I crave yeah, that it's when not I an come escapism. home. I mean, no, it's, it's just yeah, it's just like real like peace. That's it is what you're after. And you just, you've got to yeah. you've got to have that in your life to. Um, I don't know. Yes. I think it's important to have that at times in your life. <laughs> have that as your yeah. center. Yeah, absolutely. And and I I just didn't understand. Like I've had brief glimpses of this before, but never really to this kind of beautiful serenity, you know, Uh, where where my mind just switched off and I was just there. Um, But also like there's an aspect of Lebanese life that I I really loved and I'm hoping I can keep with me here. But, you know, like Lebanese people don't really overthink food, you know, like they don't um, like I got back yesterday and, you know, um, there was this like I made a fruit platter after dessert after uh, lunch from everyone and you know I was offering some to Eddie and she's like uh, no no thank you for that I'm like uh, and I made some coffee you know at five o'clock in the afternoon because <laughs> we've been drinking coffee at nine p.m. over there <laughs> crazy and, and, and she's going what coffee this time and I'm like Eddie like you know it's a good day today you know yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a it's a it's a nice, it's a nice day it. you know like <laughs> just enjoy it you know like and um have the fruit you know have it and then she had the watermelon she's like this is the best watermelon i'm like i know i've been telling you to try the watermelon <laughs> you know it's, it's such a good watermelon and um you know the, it sounds silly but you know like we, we're in this fight all the time should i shouldn't i you know yeah. and it's just good to let go of that mm. and just just do without thinking you know and um make your, your house healthy and stop worrying about it should i shouldn't yeah. I? you know yeah. just if, you sim- if you simplify your food like we were talking about before and you've got the nutritious whole foods is what you eat yeah. then um yes. yeah you yeah. can you don't have to stress so much about all the things yeah. it's just it's just yeah. good food that's right beautiful oh. Oh, and I, I got you some lebanese honey as well i forgot <gasps> to tell you oh so, exciting yeah. i look forward to it yeah. from the the oak uh forests oh wow this, this dark dark honey oh yum. and um yeah so uh, yeah you know i like some. honey <laughs> the best thing it's such a such a gift honey it i love is. it, it all right well um before we start the podcast, Joe, I think we've yammered enough. But um, <laughs> don't you think? I think wanna... so. Yeah, we we should right. probably go, get on. We we could talk all day, yeah. but they might get tired of listening to us. So sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah. Actually, we've had some lovely podcast. comments, haven't we, from people saying I could listen to you all day. Well, it's mostly you that gets those comments. <laughs> I must admit. <laughs> That's because I do most of the talking, Joe. Like, ah. really love that all the time. Um, but um, John, um, we should move on to the sponsors of the show before yes. we get on to the podcast. Do you, do you want to kick it off? Yeah, I wanted to say something about Solid Techniques. I think a lot of you have heard that they aren't making their cast iron pans anymore, sadly. But the exciting news is that all their favorite pieces that were cast iron, they're now making in the Oz iron. So it is a little bit lighter than cast iron and it, it really cooks the same way. So it's very exciting. And they sent me a couple of the prototypes of their newest pans um, to try out and to season and to see what I thought. And it's really exciting. I'm actually loving the skillet. So they sent a bigger skillet. It's called B-I-G-G-A, bigger skillet. It's kind of like the, you know, so my favorite cast iron skillet, you know, that I always rave about. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the Oz iron version. 
So I've been, nice. I started um, seasoning that one in the barbecue, hooded barbecue, and then I had two other pans they sent me that I started seasoning in the oven. So I've just done one, one um, go of seasoning, and I'll I'll do a couple more runs of it. And I've been taking videos as I go. So once I've finished seasoning them, I'm going to put the I'll get Isaac to edit it for me and put it all together. So that because people ask us yeah. all the time about seasoning pans. So that way I can show, you know, the difference between seasoning in the barbecue and seasoning in the oven yeah. and what it looks like as you're going along, um, the kind Good. of fat that I use. So I'm just using homemade tallow and it works fine. Um, and it's just, oh, I already love these new pans. So I'm really excited about them. There's a Kickstarter for the new pans. So have a look at the Solid Techniques website um, and you'll see the newest Kickstarter. Um, but if you want to order any of the Solid Techniques pans, we do have a link with a discount for you. So it's quirkycooking.com.au slash solid. And the code that you put in is 10QCP, Quirky Cooking Pans, 10QCP. And then you can get 10% off any of the pans that you buy um, through that link. We'll put the link in the show notes as well if you missed that. Um, but yeah, definitely go and have a look at the Solid Techniques website and check out the newest video on their Kickstarter because that's the newest pans and they're really, really lovely. I'm enjoying them. Um, uh, which one is the one that I, I like using? That's the, the um, um, is it the 32-centimeter skillet? 30 30 centimeter of um, it's, it's the, the satin the middle middle sized one. Yeah, I yeah. think it's 30 centimeters, uh, and it's the satin. Finish. I haven't had, I haven't gotten the satin yet. I've been using the old oh, one before okay, they released yeah. the satin. Huh? Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I love that one. So that's that's a really great uh, frying pan or skillet for uh, your cooked up at home. It's just we use it for everything. It's and, really lightweight and it, it's beautiful. Really, really nice. Because style. we love it so much, we always give one away at each of our seminars. So yeah, if you're coming, oh, we, we haven't mentioned the seminars. Whoops. Oh, so if you're coming to it. the Gold Coast, we have two semin seminars on the Gold Coast on the 20th. So that's this coming, what is it, Friday? Yeah. This coming Friday, yes. we have two seminars on the Gold Coast. And then next month, we have seminars in Brisbane and Sunshine Coast. We haven't released the dates yet, but they'll be released within the next few days. Um, so keep an eye on Facebook and our events page and newsletter for those dates. Um, and then in early December, we're, we're doing classes in Melbourne and one in Echuca because that's where I'm from. And so we have to go back there. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. And uh, our second sponsor is Willida, who are our favorite skincare and body care products on the market. Um, they create um, these beautiful products that are based on um, plant botanicals. So a lot of high quality plant ingredients go into them and they're all natural. Uh, most of the stuff is either biodynamic or organic or uh, wild crafted, so harvested sustainably from the wild. Uh, it's, a, it's a company that's been around since the 1920s. One of the founders was Rudolf Steiner. And uh, he, he was the, the father of biodynamics and Steiner education and anthroposophy. This guy was the last of the Renaissance men, really, and uh, an absolute genius. And um, this company is based on his philosophies. And um, it's they just make amazing products, just the most beautiful things. And um, the Australian team is 
an incredible team of people as well. They're trying to uh, further that mission and to put that product in more Australian homes because it is so good. So uh, one of the things, for instance, when we try to sell our cookbook to people is we're not trying to sell a book because we will benefit from it. Like this is a, a, a byproduct of creating a book is um, you know us making a living out of it. But what we want is we want it in people's homes so that they can benefit first, and, and that's the most important thing for us. And that's what we need, I think, as well. They want people to get off all these things that are causing damage to our bodies and to the water supplies because all these things that we put on our body will end up in the water supply and they're causing damage to the ecosystem and if you use something like Wilida you'll be doing your body a favor and you will be doing the the uh, ecology a favor as well and the environment and um, they're just amazing products and you can get anything from like toothpaste to shampoos to body lotions and body washes and face creams and things like that uh, um, if you're uh, after a face cream i highly recommend the wild rose face cream they have a day and night cream and it smells beautiful i've been using that uh, so beautiful isn't it great mm. yeah that's that's amazing and um, I use um, the calendula oil a lot which is I'll use whatever moisturizer they have like they have a beautiful sea buck, buckthorn lotion and after that I'll put the calendula oil on top and calendula is a beautiful nourishing healing herb and it's just my, my skin just feels great after I use it and they have a salt toothpaste which is incredible as well um, all these things that you don't mind eating because that's essentially what your body does with them when you put them on your skin uh, is that it absorbs them into your, your blood and into your system. So you want to make sure that whatever you're putting on your on your body is actually of high quality and Willida is it. So um, we can also give you a 10% of all Willida products without, they have these gift packs. So this, this offer excludes gifts, gift packs and promotional items and gift voucher. But you also get, so 10% of everything uh, and free shipping over $90 if you use the code QUIRKYJOURNEY, one word, QUIRKYJOURNEY, and uh, you can get that from wilida.com.au. So head on to wilida.com.au, put in that uh, code QUIRKYJOURNEY, and you get 10% off. And this offer is valid until the 31st of January 2018, which means you can get some in time for Christmas. I took gift packs, um, well, I selected a few things into a gift pack, um, which you can customize there on the website. And uh, I took some for my sister and my mom. And, uh, How did they like them? They love them. And in Lebanon, like, it's hard to find uh, natural skincare products. It's very difficult. Like We're so backwards with these things because they, they just throw the worst stuff at, at Lebanese people. It's just terrible. Um, so, um, you know, it was really... I was very happy to be able to take some natural stuff over to, to my mom and my sister. So Now, uh, now they'll get, be um, wanting it for all their presents, see? They'll, they'll be addicted like yeah, us. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, happy. I'm more than happy to, yeah. to take some of it. So that, that Beautiful. would be cool. Um, yeah. Actually, that's and, something and we should is, mention. Yeah, really. This is great for Christmas ideas, guys, Christmas presents. Get some for your family. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's what I did mention. So, did you? Um, I, yeah, Mustn't I said get listening. some for Christmas. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, well, typical, I wasn't typical drawing. Show. I wasn't drawing. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> 
So we'll move on now to our podcast with Linda Elsgood. Linda is the founder of the LDN Research Trust, which she established in 2004. She runs the trust uh, to raise awareness of LDN. And um, she's written the book on low-dose naltrexone. So um, this is an incredible um, drug. It'll be very, very helpful if you have the uh, cases that um, she's documented in the book that you'd be able to benefit from. Um, it's it's kind of a magic drug. Like, I haven't <laughs> seen anything like it before. Uh, I really hope you enjoy the show. And uh, please let us know what you think. If you do have experience with LDN, whether it was positive or negative, we'd love to hear from you so we can share this within our community. And um, the best of luck um, with your journey have a listen to what uh, Linda's journey has been with MS. She's had the most incredible journey on uh, with herself. She was really, really sick and LDN brought her back. So please have a listen and uh, let us know what you think. Welcome to another episode of A Quirky Journey. Uh, today with us we've got um, Linda Elskud, who is the author of the LDN book, how a little-known generic drug, low-dose naltrexone, could revolutionize treatment for autoimmune diseases, cancer, autism, depression, and more. And uh, Linda is also the founder of the LDN Research Trust. Um, LDN is really the topic of our podcast today, and we'll be talking to Linda in detail about her personal experience with LDN, which she's been um, using for over a decade now. and um, as a person who suffers from MS, to get an insight of her personal experience, but also um, the much larger view of LDN that she has taken on as a life mission as well. So Linda, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to it. Fantastic. Thanks so much for coming. <laughs> so um, uh, maybe we'll just uh, cover the, the biggest question that most people have when they hear about low-dose naltrexone and it's the word naltrexone in it. And um, when you mention that to anyone, they'll, they'll think immediately um, heroin addictions and things like that. And it's a drug that's usually used for treating opioid addictions. Can you give us a little bit of a background about what naltrexone is and what the difference is between low-dose naltrexone and normal naltrexone? Well, yes, and it's very interesting that it was used in the high doses back in the early 1970s. And it's a drug that was actually trialed. And this is where the interesting bit comes. For addiction, heroin, alcohol addiction at that time, it was used in 50 milligram tablets three times a day. So people were taking 150 milligrams. And when it was trialed, it was found to only be harmful to the liver in doses of 300 milligrams a day. So that was three times what addicts were taking. So it was very safe, even in doses of 150 milligrams. So now we're using it in doses between normally three and 4.5. Well, that is such a minuscule dose. We know that it's you know, it's not going to cause any harm, which is the first thing you want to know, that if you're taking a drug, that it's not going to do you any harm. But getting back to the, the 1970s, when people were using it for addiction, it actually blocked the 
um, receptors for the endorphins and some people that I have spoken to said it left them feeling really flat. They had no feel good factor at all. They felt very down, very depressed. So we, we learned that doses that are too high can cause that issue. And I don't think it was that successful either because people found that because it did make them feel very depressed that they didn't continue taking it. But Dr. Bernard Bahari in 1985, uh, a friend of his, his daughter had MS and he had found that using um, naltrexone and particularly LDN in um, HIV AIDS patients, that it actually helped the immune system. Now, this man was amazing. He was an MD, but he was, he was Harvard trained. He was always doing research, looking into why people were sick, how he could treat them, how he could improve their lives. I mean, that was his whole life's work. And the friend's daughter who had multiple sclerosis took the LDN and she did so well. All her relapses stopped, her symptoms disappeared. So she thought, okay, it's a misdiagnosis. I didn't actually have MS, so why would I need to take a drug? So she stopped taking the LDN and all her symptoms came back. And <laughs> I've learned from that and um, I'm doing so exceedingly well myself. There is no way I would stop taking LDN. I don't want to find out whether it is the LDN that's working for me or any other reason. You know, it is a safe drug. It's inexpensive. It's not toxic. It's not harmful. Why would you not want to take it? But that is just my story. <laughs> yeah. So we, we'll definitely get into <laughs> yeah, your story exactly. in a little while and uh, sort of have a bit of an idea of your history. But um, before we get into uh, into that, maybe you can give us a bit of a background about LDN and like. You, you mentioned in the title of your book so many different things that it can um, treat. And um, that's, that's really a very interesting like, claim for a drug because most drugs these days are used for one thing and quite often don't even work for that one thing that they're prescribed for anyway. Mm. Uh, so um, can you give us a bit of a background about LDN mm. and how it actually works in the body, what we think its mechanism of action is and why it is so beneficial? And, Yes. Well, it has a dual mechanism. I mean, years ago, it was thought that it helps the body produce extra endorphins. Now, your body is creating endorphins um, mainly at night, but it also creates endorphins during the day. And LDN only stays in your system for a short while, for like four hours. It does its job and then it's gone. So your body has like a 20-hour break every day from taking it. So once you have taken it, it then sticks to some uh, receptors in your body. I'll try not to make it too, too complicated. But, but it makes your body look as though it hasn't got any endorphins. So your body makes 100% of endorphins. And say you'd already got 60% anyway, you've then got like 160. 
And we all know endorphins, um, if you eat chocolate, um, it increases your endorphins. Exercise increases your endorphins. And what do endorphins do? They, it's your body's own natural feel-good factor and painkiller. So increasing your endorphins is going to make you feel so much better anyway. And the other mechanism of action is actually reducing inflammation. Now, why does LDM work for so many different conditions? They are autoimmune conditions and they all have, even though um, Crohn's disease, multiple sclerosis, fibromyalgia, psoriasis, they all have that common autoimmune factor. And any condition that has an autoimmune component, LDN could work. And it reduces that inflammation. I have interviewed so many doctors and pharmacists, and they all talk about the body inside being on fire. Um, the fire is the inflammation and it actually where your immune system is meant to protect you it's out of control and it actually is attacking you so um dr ian sagon described ldn as regulating a dysfunctional immune system which i think is a really good way of putting it it actually makes your immune system calm down and work correctly um, there are so many amazing stories that i can tell you um, about patients that have taken ldn um, a really nice one um, a lady whose um, son was autistic and uh, he actually came to the the conference last year this little boy jacob but when he was i think he was about three or even before three well however old he was when he started showing that there was something wrong with him he didn't like to be cuddled or loved or no eye contact with his parents and his mother was such a lovely lady and all Jacob would do was slap her on the face and she'd be saying I love you Jacob I love you Jacob and she just wanted him to know that he was loved, even though he was rejecting them. And he was saying, I hate you. And it must have been absolutely soul-destroying. But yeah. he started on LDM. And after just a few weeks, he, he was having eye contact, which was a really big deal. He was calming down the anger. He wasn't as angry. And one day she shouted out to her husband quickly bring the video camera bring the video camera now and she had said i love you jacob and he turned around and said i love you mommy <laughs> just like, oh wow. just so amazing and she said to her husband i'm going to say it again record it because this might be a one-off he may never ever say it again oh just wow. so amazing but he's also a, a piano protege wow and i think he was about four and a husband played classical um guitar uh, guitar piano <laughs> and uh, he was at work and she had thought her husband had come home and was playing the piano 
and she went into the music room and Jacob was sitting on the piano, never had a, having had a lesson. He'd listened to his father and he was playing Beethoven or wow. Bach or, or whatever. And it was, it was perfect. Uh, and he, he had lessons and he came to the conference last year and this little boy played about five or six different pieces without any music or, you know, wow. he didn't read the music. He just played it. And it was perfect, absolutely perfect. And he's, he's now, he's appeared on Good Morning America and yeah. virtually every television show. He's got his own CD that yeah. he, you know, of music that he's played. But he's able to function. He can yeah. mix, he can socialise. And he has his life back. And that is just yeah. such an amazing story from a child who was not able to function as yeah. children should so that was a really it's good a good story very exciting for so many parents to hear that yes exactly because it if you're in that place where your child is not responding and it's saying they hate you it must be very difficult to continually keep telling them that you love yeah. them it must oh, yeah. be very hard it must be, hard be very be, very hard yeah. I saw yes. on uh, a documentary but on YouTube are... about uh, oh, LD. There's a documentary on YouTube about LDN, um, like a full full feature documentary, and um, I think they had that same child in there. I'm not. I think I'm sure they did actually. And I remember even they, the, they the, did. Yes. Yeah. Um, the mm-hmm. mom said that the day after he took LDN, he woke up the next day and he said to her, "Good morning, mommy," which was the first time he'd ever actually greeted her and she just uh, couldn't believe yes i sent, I sent that video to you yeah. joe so you could watch that, it well, yeah 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 i think well, that's the one i watched i didn't finish it yet well we made uh, that the ldn research trust made that documentary uh, and we also yeah. made uh, one on cancer as well okay. and we're doing everything we can to spread the word and to give hope to people who have been told there is no hope. So um, mm-hmm. why is it that it isn't known so well? Like if it's so, like, it sounds like it's so amazing from everything I've looked at and read it. Why is it not up there more? Like all drugs, um, when naltrexone had been through the trials and studies, which cost an amazing amount of money, yeah. the drug company that license it are able to, to charge a high amount for a certain amount of years, and then it becomes what's known as out of patent. And that means any generic company can make a similar product. Mm-hmm. And that then makes the price very, very cheap. So for a drug company now to look at naltrexone, a drug that is out of patent, how would they make their money back by doing trials? So the difficulty is that trials and studies are having to be, if you like, you know, self-funded. Um, and it's very difficult to get the kind of money that is required. There are small trials and studies going on all the time and they're being published and it will gather, gather momentum. But that is why LDN is such a, a cheap drug is because it is out of patent. And most people have to... Um, buy it themselves Mm -hmm. Um, 
but so hopefully in time that will change. For, for the listeners, uh, I think it's worth sort of focusing in on that point because they will go to their doctor to talk about it and the doctor will have no clue what it is, uh, the, as, especially in the low dose version and they'll think that they're asking for naltrexone and most of the times how doctors hear mm-hmm. about uh, medications these days are either through sales reps for pharmaceuticals who come over to them and they try to tell them why their drug is so good or through mm-hmm. um, these scientific journals that are publishing um, like double blind studies and things like that which are very very expensive clinical studies and the clinical studies are only being made as Linda mentioned by the pharmaceuticals or the universities who hold to make a, a lot of money out of discovering something new but if if the money's not in it then no one's going to put all that money in. so the doctor will mm. never end up finding out and it becomes the responsibility of the patient really to educate the doctor um, mm. so this is where we find ourselves not only in australia but really worldwide um, I don't. I don't think there's any country yet who's completely on the LDN bandwagon yet, Linda. Well, there have been some small um, gold standard trials, which are double-blind placebo trials for Crohn's, pediatric Crohn's, fibromyalgia, and um, Dr. Gerard Younger um, is now at the University of Alabama. And he is focusing on doing further trials and studies of LDN. And he's trying to get a a trial off the ground, a pilot trial for multiple sclerosis. And we're looking at about half a million um, dollars to to start that trial, which is a lot of money and it takes a lot of um, funding. There's another trial being planned for um, Sjogren's syndrome. Um, they are looking to do further trials for pain and um, neuropathic pain and mm. phantom limb pain. You know, in um, war veterans who have lost limbs and things. Um, yeah. So that is also going to be very interesting. Yeah. But we also have a, a fact sheet that people can take to their doctor which explains um, what naltrexone is, what low-dose naltrexone is, how to prescribe it, what the side effects are. And I'll just briefly mention side effects. At such a low dose, only about 5% of people experience side effects. But the side effects can be um, worsening of pre-existing symptoms for a few weeks, two or three weeks, very, very rare. Um, headaches, stomach upset, sleep disturbance and vivid dreams. Now, years ago, when I first started, and I started in 2003, the norm was to start on three milligrams. Well, three milligrams is too high for some people and yeah. certainly too high to start on. So these days, people start on half a milligram and then increase it slowly. So the people, those 5% that had side effects has been reduced greatly by increasing it slowly. Now, obviously, the LDN Research Trust is a charity and we have to abide by charity rules. And although I can tell you about LDN, I do have a caveat that I have to get in here that is that LDN is a miracle drug or a cure and it doesn't work for everyone. Yeah. Having said that, 
the doctors that I have spoken to and interviewed and asked what has the success rate been and it varies between like 80 and 90 percent of people it does something for some of these people with um yes with chronic diseases have pain they have very bad sleep um maybe depression because if you have a chronic disease depression um if you gave a healthy person all the symptoms of a chronic disease would they feel okay no the chances are they would feel depressed too even if that wasn't you know in their nature yeah so we have this information pack i wouldn't suggest taking it to the doctor and expecting the doctor to read it while you're there it's very long um the ldm book is also a, a very good resource but to leave it with your doctor and go back in two weeks time and say you know what do you think would you be able to prescribe it for me because it does show that it's cheap it's not harmful it's not toxic it has very few side effects i would say for people with crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis where there is a, a obvious stomach issue some of those people may have trouble um with the ldn because the standard ldn is absorbed through the gut that you can take it sublingually and then that bypasses the gut so that resolves those issues but i also work very closely with a pharmacist in brisbane and her name is mary louise condom and she's from the compounding lab now she has devoted so much of her time in educating doctors in the use of ldn not only in brisbane but you know throughout australia so if there was anybody who would like to try ldn i always recommend that people do their own research first to take the information pack to their own doctor and if their doctor doesn't feel comfortable in prescribing ldn if you contact mary louise condon speak to her um if if your doctor would agree for her to speak to them and explain exactly what ldn is and how to prescribe it to make the doctor feel comfortable Mm. and ldn is prescribed because it's not licensed for these um conditions it's can be prescribed off label on a name patient basis and that means the doctor takes 50 percent of the responsibility of prescribing an off-label drug and the other 50 percent responsibility is with the pharmacist and mary louise is very happy to take on that 50 percent of responsibility with the doctor and usually she can um convince them that you know ldn is safe and they normally prescribe it but there are ways of having private consultations with doctors to uh, obtain a prescription for ldm so um well there's, there's so much really to cover here because it's, it's such a vast topic and um I think I'd, I'd really would like to get your personal story before we move on with more of the details, but just to let people know where you were personally with LDN and what fuels you to do the work that you do now. Um, so 
would you would you share your story what, with us please? and what your symptoms were before yeah. you started okay well multiple sclerosis you can have so many different symptoms um i had when i was 13 we called it glandular fever. It's now called Epstein-Barr virus. I was very ill. I had nearly a year off school. Mm. And that was when the chronic fatigue really started. It, and it took me a long while to pick up. Um, obviously, nobody knew what chronic fatigue was. It was yeah. just that I couldn't, I couldn't walk. And my mother was four foot nine. And at 13, I was five foot six. <sighs> Um, my father was working and my mother had to carry me to the car because I couldn't walk when I was going to to doctor's appointments. Yeah. I mean, that must've been very difficult for a very, very short lady. But anyway, um, you couldn't, you couldn't go to school in that time. No, no, no. I was very, very, very sick. Um, I can remember they gave me some drugs and my, the doctor I was too ill to take to hospital. I was vomiting blood and had to stay at home. And he said that there was an experimental drug that they could try, but it was untested. My mother would have to sign some forms. I can remember them standing outside the room talking, and it involved injections. Now, I hated needles. I hated giving blood, you know, Mm. any kind of putting a needle in me. I hated and I felt so ill, I can remember thinking, I don't care. You know, I could die, but I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fine. You can do with me, you know, as, as you like. And, and some school friends came to visit me about two weeks before I was due to go back to school. And they brought mumps into the house, obviously. We didn't oh, know. No. So the, the morning I was getting ready for school and I looked in the, the mirror and I looked like a chipmunk. <laughs> It was amazing. And it was just like, mum, something's wrong. And um, then I'd got mumps, so I actually had to have some extra time off school. But I was very, very weak. I met my husband when I was 18, and he was telling one of the doctors, and I was quite upset at the time, and he said, um, I was always ill. And I took that as he thought I was a hypochondriac, you know, oh, she was always ill. And I was really, really upset with that that comment. And he said, no, but you were always ill. Well, what do you mean? Well, you always had this and this. And I was 17 when I um, started getting urinary tract infections. Hmm. Um, oh, terrible. And I had terrible time with my menstrual cycle. Oh, Awful, and started when I was eleven. Oh, uh, I had my okay. first DNC um, operation when I was seventeen, uh, as well. And I've had maybe sixteen different um, operations on the womb and the womb area, and wow. fibroids and polyps and all these DNCs and goodness knows what else. But I used to go out for cycle rides with my husband and holding the handlebars in between my thumb and my forefinger, that area there used to go numb and hurt. And I used to say to my husband, when you're cycling, do you find that, you know, in there it goes numb and it hurts? And 
no, you're just weird. You know, and I just Ooh. think, well, but why does that happen to me? And it doesn't happen to you. <laughs> happen to you. But different things, obviously, they were MS relapses, but I didn't know. Um, things would come, things would go. I'd have leg weakness for a few weeks and then it would go. So because it had gone, it didn't count in my mind. But it's only in hindsight when you look back and they're all pieces of a jigsaw puzzle, a picture that you really don't want to, to see. But all these things went on and what came to a head was on Christmas 1999, um, I'd been working, it had been snowing, it was frosty, probably you don't know about snow and frost <laughs> in Sydney, uh, but it slowed the traffic down and it was rush hour and I'd got home and my friend was here going to cut my hair and she was saying, oh, you're late, hurry up, you know, I've got to go out. So I was trying to take my coat off and my phone, house phone rang and it was my father who never uses the phone or never did use the phone. Um, and he was deaf as well. So that's another reason he didn't like it. And he was in a wheelchair. And he was in tears saying that my mum had had a heart attack. They were taking her in the ambulance and they wouldn't let him go because he was in a wheelchair and there's no one to look after him. And I was like an hour and a half away from where the hospital was. So I was saying, you know, tell them to take you. I will meet you there. I will look after you, you know, just go with her. So he went with my mum. I left a message for my husband. He was going to collect my daughter and he was going to get to the hospital. The hour and a half journey took forever to get there. I I can't remember. It was well over two hours because the traffic was just very, very slow. The, The roads were really bad. So my husband came but because my father was in a wheelchair and overnight they wouldn't let him stay in case there was a fire or something and he would be a liability. So my husband took him home and I stayed with my mum and they gave her a drug and it was called strepicarnase and it's a drug that they can only give people once ever because if they ever give it to you again, it will kill you. And wow. it actually saved her life. But I was so frightened that, I mean... Obviously, I was in shock and I was very upset, wasn't thinking straight. But I thought if I went to sleep, my mum would die because I wouldn't be there to to keep my eye on her. Mm. <laughs> Sounds ridiculous. So I, I stayed awake for 48 hours oh, and yes. that was, yeah, not a good idea. Mm. Anyway, my mum um, survived and uh, my work insisted that I go back and the Australian friend that I was telling you about was living in England and she was a nurse and Mm -hmm. her and her boyfriend at the time came and looked after my mum while I went to work. So I was traveling to work, seeing to my mum, very, very stressful. And then things started to go really badly wrong with me. Uh, I had flu, then I had gastroenteritis. Um, My legs were going numb. I had shooting pains down my arms that went into pins and needles. And all these things just kept happening. And I was going to the doctors and you've slipped a disc, you've got a trapped nerve. And whether he didn't want to tell me what was wrong or he didn't know, I don't, I don't know. But this just went on. 
And I said to my husband, I am just so tired. I'm, I really can't work full time. I, I can't do it. And I loved my job. Mm. So I went part time, but that didn't make any difference either because I was getting up, going to work, coming home, going to bed. I, I couldn't do anything else. And then slowly it got worse. I then had double vision and lost my hearing in my left ear. And I, I couldn't stand. I was virtually incontinent. And I uh, just had to stop completely. Um, but before that, I thought, um, I said to my husband, because all this happened at, at Christmas with my mum. And then by the Easter, I said, you know, can we go away? Can we have a holiday so that I can have a break from being ill? I will, it will be a completely different scenery. I'll be relaxed. And when I come back, I'll have left everything behind, you know, and I'll, I'll be fine. I'll be, I'll be back to being normal. Of course, that didn't happen. My husband couldn't have time off, and I went with my youngest daughter away and it it was Portugal it was meant to be hot we'd taken summer clothes um and it was rainy it was cold it was horrible and I said to my husband the wind and the rain on my face is making my face go numb just the left hand side I can't understand why so when we came back I went to the neurologist who made me an appointment the doctors who made an appointment for the neurologist but I didn't wasn't able to see the neurologist until August. So I was waiting all that time, not knowing what's wrong with me. Yeah. Um, and by the time August came, um, I'd lost my bowel and bladder control. Cognitively, I couldn't think. Um, very bad vertigo, tripped, fell, stumbled. And the, the, the list went on. And I had um, a, a three-day course of intravenous steroids. And... I was still progressing. So the neurologist organized a second MRI scan because I'd had an MRI scan and a lumbar puncture. Wasn't told it was, it was MS. And then they decided to um, give me another MRI scan. And the sister who was getting me ready, putting the tags on my arm, and she said to me, so how long have you had MS? I said, I haven't got MS. And she looked at me and she said, Oh, oh, um, oh, I, I must have the wrong person. And then after she'd gone, I thought, oh, I've got MS, have I? Oh, okay. Um, so I had the second MRI, had another course of intravenous steroids, and everybody said that you should have an 18-month gap, and I had had three weeks. Um, so I said to the doctor, why am I having another course? He said, because we're frightened that you're going to end up deaf and blind. Yeah. Ah, so do you then want to take the steroids that can cause lots of other problems or do you want to risk being deaf and blind? And, you know, you have to believe the medical profession know what they're doing and, 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 go, yeah, and go with it. So I had the, the second uh, lot. So fast forwarding, um, I was then, they were, the choices were before I was told it was MS, that it was a brain tumor, didn't fancy that, a tropical disease, and I couldn't see how I would have got that, I hadn't been anywhere, um, <laughs> or a, a stroke, or some sort of infectious disease, or MS. 
So I, I, I would have liked a, another option because I didn't like any of those. <laughs> no. But it, it, it was MS. So I then, um, I, I couldn't go back to work. I, I couldn't function. English had become my second language. And if people who have fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, that suffer with what they call um, brain fog, it's terrible where you can't recall vocabulary. You can't remember things. So you end up talking like somebody's had a stroke because you're struggling to put a sentence together. And then half the time, by the time you got the sentence together and you're talking to somebody, the conversation's moved on and you're so pleased with yourself that you've got this sentence together and you say it and it's completely random because it's obviously three topics on. Oh, and I would get things wrong. I would call, I'd say to my husband, can you please make me a cup of coffee? I don't drink tea, never have drank tea. And he's, he would say to me, but you don't drink tea. Well, I asked for coffee. No, you said tea. And I used to say things wrong. And I used to say to my husband, please don't correct me. You're depressing me because every time I open my mouth, you're telling me I'm wrong. Yeah. And he said, well, I'm teaching you so next time you will know but it it didn't work like that (laughs) at all and it was awful and I started choking on my food um I had what I called exploding bowels like if you're sneezing you know you go chew well that's what happened with my bowels and it was you you didn't get any warning it was absolutely awful I slept all the time. That was the only saving grace was that I just slept. Uh, I was awake about four hours out of the 24 and I just slept. And sometimes with kids, mine were grown up. Luckily my eldest was my youngest was 15 at the time. Um, and sometimes I could wake up and just for us, because I, I was in a lot of pain and sometimes for a split second when I woke up, I felt nothing. I felt normal. And then I would think, oh, and then all of a sudden, wham, <laughs> everything would come back. So in 2003, I was told that I was secondary progressive MS. The neurologist had me in his office. He examined me. He got me to sit at his desk and he, I can picture this. It was awful my life just stood still and he sat down at the desk and he looked at me and he said I'm very sorry to tell you your secondary progressive MS now and he put his hand out and I put my hand out and he shook it and he said and I'm very sorry there's nothing more we can do for you and he stood up opened the door and showed me out and I said to my husband in the car I felt as though he may as well have said go home die quietly you're an embarrassment because there is nothing we can do. We just don't want to see you, hear from you or anything. And it was really, really uh, upsetting. So I had been working full time, wasn't able to work at all. My husband had to carry on working because we both couldn't stop working. Um, And I was having these pains in my head that were, unbelievable pains and it was like the size of a wine glass but it would move around my head it didn't always stay in the same place anyway I had um, the doctor come out to see me and he had bought me some stronger painkillers and he fetched me a glass of water 
and he left. And I was thinking, you know, I am so tired of everybody looking at me, family and friends, and it's the pity in their eyes, the, the feeling sorry for me that I found really, really difficult. I've told this story so many times, I don't know why it upsets me. Oh, what an amazingly hard thing to go through, I just mm. can't imagine. So I thought to myself, if I was to take all the painkillers, everybody would understand why I, I had done it, and then their lives would be able to <laughs> yeah. carry on as normal. But then I had to uh, think who was going to find me. Yeah. And it was going to be my daughter. Mm. Linda, would you like to take a minute? Shall I? And there was no way. Okay. All right, we'll, we'll just take a, take a little break. I'm fine, I'm fine. All right, no worries. But I couldn't... <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I couldn't do this to my 15-year-old daughter. So the only option I had was to prove everybody wrong, that, you know, there was something that could help me. No, I, I, I tripped and fell, I stumbled, um. I couldn't sit for any long periods of time. And to sit at the computer for 10 minutes absolutely wiped me out. That was all I could do. Yeah. So my, my search was to find something that other people were taking for MS. I, I knew I couldn't be unique, that there must be other people in exactly the same situation as me. What were they taking? And it took me a while and I found out about LDN and I found some people that were taking LDN who were willing to speak to me. And everybody told me the same, that if it doesn't do you any good, it's not going to do you any harm. And at yeah. that point, even if it had side effects, I would still, <laughs> I would still have yeah. tried it. But at least I knew that it was not going to be harmful. I took all the information to my, my doctor and in that in between time, the doctor that came out to give me the pills, he'd retired. It was a young doctor who looked as though she could have been one of the friends of my eldest daughter. She was very young. <laughs> she was absolutely lovely. And, and the other thing that I'd found upsetting with my old doctor, he was a doctor who liked to fix people and he had been tremendous to me throughout the years. Suddenly he couldn't look me in the eye. He couldn't look at me anymore. He dotted, uh, he would look at notes and he would dot I's and cross T's over and over, but he wouldn't give me eye contact. And this mm. young doctor was fine. She was fun. She was bubbly. She listened. It was really, really enlightening. So I gave her the information and she said to come back. And she was uh, an employee of the practice. She wasn't one of the partners. And it had been voted that she couldn't prescribe it for me but she said if it was me I would like to try it so if you can find a doctor to prescribe it for you I will monitor you now back in 
2003, I was one of 400 people in the UK that were taking LDN. So it was, there weren't that many people mm. using it. And in three weeks, um, in the in-between time before I started LDN, my eldest daughter uh, got married. I found it very difficult to get ready to go. I was showered and dressed and ready. And I said to my husband, I, I can't go. I've just got to go back to bed. I'm absolutely washed out. I just, I can't do it. And he said, any other day you could, but today you've got to go. So we had to travel about an hour um, and got there. And I was in my um, electric scooter because my husband was having to walk my daughter down the aisle, so he couldn't push me in a wheelchair. My dad was in a wheelchair, and my mum was pushing my dad. (laughs) And So anyway, I went in this electric scooter. My eldest daughter wasn't happy that we left early. Um, She never, she'd left home by the time I was really sick and never understood Mm -hmm. what I was going through. Yeah, she didn't understand it. Um, so she was not happy with me they went on honeymoon I started the LDN and in three weeks and then she came to visit me (laughs) by which point I could stand I couldn't walk any distance but I could actually get on my feet I could hold a conversation I didn't sleep as much my bowel and bladder control started to come back I was a completely different person. And I can remember my daughter saying to me, why couldn't you have been like this at my wedding? Oh, no. I hope she understands now. (laughs) That's another story. Um, (laughs) But it was just amazing. And I have seen television programs where they have spoken about people who've been in wheelchairs getting up and walking. Mm I can't see how that happens. It certainly didn't happen with me because I'd been in bed and not walking, et cetera, et cetera, for two or three years. The tendons in my, in my calf muscles shrunk, yeah. which then pulled up the arches at the bottom of my feet. So to try and walk underneath my feet, the pain was excruciating and I went to see a podiatrist and I was explaining the, the pain in my feet. And the whole idea with seeing him was to be able to help me to walk without the pain in my feet. And I can remember him running his fingers up from my um, ankles, up my calf muscles. And then he, he stopped. He obviously found something and pushed and said, does it hurt here? And it was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yes and and it was the the, the tendons that had um, shrunk so I had to do stretching muscles um, to lengthen the, the tendons which takes time and it took me about uh, 18 months to get to where I am now um, but 2004 in the February that I founded the LDN Research Trust it was like, well, started to initiate it. It actually took five months in, in being because um, nobody wanted it to be a charity. So what choice did I have? Did I then say, okay, I can get on with my life and 
carry on or do I tell everybody about LDN and make that my goal, my mission? For people who are in that deep, dark place that I was in who maybe haven't got the strength or the ability or the stubbornness or whatever you want to call it to get out of there themselves. So I wanted to take the message to people that, okay, even if you've been told there's nothing more you you can do or they can do for you, that there is an option, not saying it will work, but it is certainly worth trying. Yeah. Wow, what a story. (laughs) So, I mean, we've helped so many people around the world and it started off being mainly MS and then it became Crohn's disease and then there are 240 different conditions that LDN is now used for. Wow. Wow, Linda. Um, People who were on your path, where, where would you be now in 2017 if you hadn't found it? What would you imagine? What, if I hadn't founded the LDN Research Trust, you mean? No, if you haven't found... If you hadn't found LDN, LDN. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. Yeah. This is... Yeah, uh, I wouldn't be here. Can, can you describe I, I how... I was going you, downhill so rapidly. How are you now in terms of your symptoms and, and your disease? And where, where, what's happening now? I, I still know um, that I, I have MS. Uh, and unfortunately, just over a year ago, my mother died, not of a heart attack. Uh, she had cancer too late uh, for LDN. She was uh, she had so many health issues, how they didn't notice she'd got cancer is beyond me. But I actually, I mean, there she was dying and all she could say to the, the nurses was she was worried about me because if, her dying made me ill she wasn't going to be here to look after me oh yeah so um i with the ldn even though um i i did go through a bad period the first time that i'd had a relapse uh, in Oh, 12 and a half years, something like that. And I'd been having relapses every six months until I became secondary progressive MS and the relapses had stopped. But I, I was very ill after my mother, but I know um, if you look at it as a ladder, I was probably two rungs from the top before my mum was ill and I probably dropped four rungs where I know if I hadn't have been taking LDN, I'd have crashed straight down to the bottom and I didn't and fatigue is still uh, an issue I'm not sleeping all the time and people who have fatigue understand that it's not being tired being Mm -hmm. fatigued is where your battery is flashing red it needs recharging you go to bed you go to sleep you wake up it's still flashing (laughs) you Mm -hmm. you don't feel refreshed um I can sit down and work mentally I'm fine physically you know it's an effort to to move around but I'm organizing the conference which is in uh, about three weeks time so I've been working very very hard so after the conference I'm going to have a, a rest and a recuperate but 
my health is I have quality of life I'm enjoying my life I can set myself goals targets aims and I can reach them and that was I'm a very dedicated person I'm a workaholic I do like setting myself targets and when I was sick I couldn't achieve anything and that's what was really very hard I can remember sitting on the toilet having you know wet pants and everything and thinking to myself even a three-year-old can do this you know why why can't I do it you why can't I do whatever and whatever I set myself any small target aim I failed all the time and that is very hard to to take but I do know how I had been deteriorating that I wouldn't be here I wouldn't be here now not through me taking my own life but just for the disease progression progression I think uh, people can go to uh, Terry Wall's famous speech uh, on TED about her MS journey uh, where she talks about the progression of the disease with her and how she treated it with um, a diet that she now um, basically tells people how to eat for MS. Uh, incredible way of eating. It's all whole foods and nutritionally dense foods. But the way that she describes her disease as well and the progression, I, you know, she was completely incapable of moving in, in the wheelchair. And it's a very, very vivid description of the disease. And it'll give people an appreciation, I think, as well, Linda, when they hear you talking to us on this podcast and being able to tell us all these stories and to actually, you know, you, you'll be able to talk to, uh, to us tonight better than I can at the moment because it's like eight o'clock and it's almost my bedtime. I'm, I'm slurring my speech and, and you're doing so well. Uh, so you know, I'm just, I'm so amazed. Pardon? Can, can yeah, you say that again? The, it is absolutely amazing. There are so many stories for people, young people. And uh, by the time I was diagnosed, I was 44. So looking back now, I'm 61. I still think 44 is quite young. But at the time, I thought, I'm not... I'm not in my <laughs> teens. You know, there are, there are people being diagnosed yeah. in their teens um, early 20s I mean and that is terrible when they've, they've really not had a, a life yeah. and the, the number of people that tell me that they're in such bad pain with an autoimmune disease uh, it, yeah. it doesn't have to be pick one it doesn't matter anyone mm. where people say to me I was so disappointed when I woke up this morning I was hoping to die in my sleep yeah you know, where they just don't want to carry on. And there was one, one lady, and we did a documentary, the first documentary, and her story's on there. And she'd got twin little girls, and she'd got fibromyalgia, and she wasn't, wasn't able to look after these children. She was in so much pain, and she didn't want to live anymore. You know, she thought the world of her children, but she just couldn't do it. She just yeah. couldn't do it. Um and another amazing story, a lady with Crohn's disease, she'd got children and her mother had to come and live with her and look after the children. Her Crohn's, were, her bowels were bleeding the whole time. So she was losing a lot of blood. She was losing a lot of weight. She couldn't 
function. She couldn't really get out of bed or do anything. And they took her in hospital and said that she had got to have her bowels removed completely and have a, a colostomy bag. And she had been pre prepped for theatre and they were they came for her to take her down and she said um i don't want to go i've changed my mind and they said well you you know you're already we're we're set to do it and she was no 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 i i want to go home i don't want to have it done she'd signed all the papers and everything and they said but you you will die if you go home you will die and she said well i i just need to go home and think about this and I will come back, but today I can't have it done. Hmm. So she she went home, and she was a young girl, like late twenties, and she heard about LDN. She got a prescription. She started the LDN, and this she kept improving. The bleeding had stopped, and from Dr. Jill Smith's um, Crohn's disease uh, trial that she had where they showed in the intestines where they were all red and angry and um, like ulcerated and absolutely Mm. awful and then after a while it went to being smooth like looking down the back of your throat you know just nice Mm. and smooth so this lady went back well after she was meant to have died and they um, did tests on her and they couldn't find any Crohn's disease at all it had gone so I had interviewed her um a a few years down the road and she was absolutely fine now this was a lady who couldn't look after her children she Mm. she says she wasn't a wife she wasn't a mother she didn't take part in anything her parents were taking her children to school which she wanted to do and, and she wasn't able to she then went on and had another baby. Wow. Um, she had a little boy and she was telling me in tears that if she could see her youngest son grow up and the Crohn's came back and it killed her, she wouldn't mind. But she oh. wanted to live long enough to see him grow up. But she was in complete remission. Wow, and I, I heard so many of these stories <laughs> and not everyone can be, you know, making it up. There are just too many. And all the doctors that tell these remarkable stories of patients and Dr. Phil Boyle uh, uses it in his fertility clinic. So he uses it with other um, treatments and therapies and, and whatnot, but it is used before pregnancy, during pregnancy, after pregnancy, breastfeeding, and he says these babies are happy, healthy, good weight, and less likely to get chest infections and so on because mm. a lot of newborn babies end up having antibiotics for a little while. Um, and he says it's amazing. And he said, I was asked, because uh, even though he's primarily treating people for um, infertility, many of these people have autoimmune conditions as well, you know, fibromyalgia, Hashimoto's, rheumatoid arthritis. And he's just amazed at how, you know, their health um, improves. 
And he said he had one doctor say to him, but isn't LDN addictive? He said, it sure is addictive. I can't wait for the next patient to come in that I can prescribe LDN for. He said, I am addicted. The patient's not addicted, but I'm addicted. (laughs) Yes, I like that. And I have been so lucky. If I hadn't have had MS, I wouldn't have met so many truly wonderful people and such Mm. dedicated doctors and pharmacists. And that's why I enjoy doing these conferences. Mm. Um, If anybody's listening and they would like to take part in the conference, it's live streamed around the world. You can, and it's interactive. You can submit your questions. There's an online chat so you can talk to other attendees in the conference. And it's absolutely amazing what you learn from these doctors. And of course, everybody has some questions to, to ask and, to have an expert panel of um, LDN prescribers and researchers that you can actually, you know, ask the question to the right person and get the answer. It's truly amazing. And is it available after the conference is over? Is it yes, it is. Okay, um, that's good to know. Yes, because obviously the time difference, mm. while the conference is going on, the, if you've missed any of the presentations, they're saved as recorded presentations. And then after the conference, um, the, the site is closed, but then there's another site where you can actually watch the recordings for 12 months. So when you, at a time to suit you, as many times as you like, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's there for you to, to listen to. Maybe we so can put that good. link in the show notes for us. Yeah, absolutely. And um, would you be able to tell us uh, a little bit more about the LDN Research Trust and the work that you do there, uh, so that people know what what kind of information they'll be able to find? Okay, we have a list of LDN prescribers on the website. We also have a private list, which is so extensive i couldn't even i have a a lady called jean hill a volunteer and that the whole thing with the ldn research trust it's run totally by volunteers nobody gets paid so every penny dollar cent wherever you are in the world any donation goes to helping people and educating doctors making information available so that so many charities are set up where most of the money goes to pay staff we don't pay anybody um so that's a a big thing but the ldn research trust we have that the first port of call is the information pack for doctors we also have a forum we have a website which shows so much information there are two different portals to go through if you're a patient or you're a medical professional Uh, i have done i think it's about 665 interviews with um doctors researchers pharmacists and users telling their their stories which yes and then we started our own radio station in november last year we have an ldn app as well which is such a fantastic tool so if you haven't started ldn and you're thinking of trying it you can actually start using the app to get the baseline of where you are it tracks um diet um ldn i hadn't mentioned that isn't really a standalone treatment and diet and supplements 
and healthy lifestyle is a must. Oh, good, because um, I was going to ask you that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're going That's to sit and eat fast food, um, yeah, you're not where it has lots of calories, but without the nutritional value, if you're not mm. eating fruit and vegetables, if you're not exercising, even if you're in a wheelchair, there are exercises that you can do. I didn't know that. And that is why my tendons shrunk. If I, I was given a wheelchair and that was Not it. Not told about the exercises. Not told about anything, no. So there are lots of things you can actually do to help improve yourself. Um, mm. But there are um, alarms you can set for taking medications. You can list the number of medications, your symptoms. You can keep a diary. And the good thing is you enter all these different things and then when you start LDN you can say okay my pain level is reduced a bit I've managed to stop taking this medication and then you can do graphs and charts that you can print okay. out and show your doctor exactly it's called the LDN health tracker app and it's absolutely amazing but the data that is put into the app is used for the largest LDN survey and we're working with researchers who are going to be able to use that data to have it published the information is used anonymously so nobody has to worry that we're going to know who you are we don't um store your email address um and you're just like case study number one two three so on not Mm -hmm. using uh real names or anything so if people taking part it's a really big help. So it's free. And the, the reason it's free is we would like to help you, but we would like you to help us by using it. So it's mm. a, a win-win situation for everybody. Yeah. So we have that. We also have a forum, um, which is really good because you can actually post questions and um, see the answers where we've got a Facebook group and there are, I think about 26,000 people in that group. So messages and questions are lost within a couple of hours that they're gone where the forum, you can still actually find the, the answers to the posts. So we have um, that and the book was amazing. I was asked by Chelsea green publishing if I would write a book and it was like, Oh, no, yeah. I, I don't know how to write job, a book. <laughs> Have, haven't, haven't got it. Well, naivety is an amazing thing yeah. because people tell you you can do something. You think, okay, I can, I can do that. Yeah, that's right. I can do that. That's, that's no problem. Um, <laughs> and it was a case of, so when are we going to launch the book? So the obvious launch was at the conference last year, which was February of um, 2016. But I didn't agree to do the book until April. So um, I was told the book had to be completed by June to get it published in time. So it was very, very tight. So I'm a list person and I'm very organized. So I sat down and I wrote what I would like in each chapter, who I would like to write these chapters. So I contacted these doctors and said, look, been asked to do a book we want to have it launched at the conference would you be able to write a chapter on xyz and oh by the way you've only got 10 weeks to do it (laughs) and do you know i had i think 16 different people involved in the book 
and we didn't miss one single deadline. And the book was actually published three weeks early. It was amazing. <laughs> it was absolutely amazing. Sounds um, like some passionate people were involved. Oh, very <laughs> passionate people. And it was so good. I mean, in the book, it, it tells you um, the mechanism of LDN and the action. And, okay, some of it is too in-depth for the user, but it, there is enough in there to understand it in layman's yes. terms and it goes on if you want more information you know how to approach your doctor what to do about getting a prescription and then there are different um diseases in there as well and some q and a's at the back so i was very 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 pleased with that book um it sounds it's, like you've got been amazing 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 lot of resources do you we have mm. with the app um i didn't catch whether you said um do you have ideas for diet like helping them with their diet on the app as well or it's not helping them it's helping it's track. tracking yes okay. it's the tracking but yeah. i guess um on your on your website or something you give people a bit of an idea of what kinds of things to eat or well we have a nutritionist um uh-huh. jill brooke who mm-hmm. is um working with us now before Jill has POTS disease, absolutely awful. Google it and you'll find out what it is. Um, So she had to stop working, but she was a celebrity in California. She was on, you know, all the television shows and she was the resident nutritionist Uh helping and advising people what they should and shouldn't be eating. Now I've interviewed Jill a few times and she's given people suggestions and ideas on healthy eating and she's also going to be speaking at the conference and her talk um, is what the beep should we eat, uh, <laughs> which is understanding yes. how the body works and what you should actually be eating. There's so many conflicting um, mm. diets out there, but she strips them back and looks at them and mm. they're very similar when you break it down. So, um Apart from the, which I hadn't said, the conference, three days live conference, we've also got, I think about, there's still some more to go on there, about 18 hours of pre-recorded conferences as well. And she has an hour talking about diet and explaining everything to people, which is a really must listen to. It was really educational in such a way that, it doesn't go over your head. It's understandable, you know, ideas and suggestions that you can actually have. And of course it it depends on you. Um, Everybody is unique and individual. And I have just found out that, I mean, I follow a dairy free, gluten free diet. um, And I've had SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, but I, I've now found I'm intolerant to eggs and I used to eat a lot of eggs and yeast. So mm-hmm. because of that, I couldn't actually eat mushrooms either or dried fruit and the list and the sesame seeds and certain fish and oh, an absolute <laughs> nightmare. But this is the thing, even though people can give you a generalization of a diet, it's what your body is insensitive to that you should avoid as well. 
All right, so this has just been uh, a fantastic intro to people for LDN. I'm so happy with this podcast. Thank you so much for being here with us and yeah. giving us all this information. I think uh, a lot of people are going to be new, if not all of them, really, because uh, I've never met a person in Australia who's really heard of LDN. Um, I <laughs> yeah, and I had to actually tell Joe to really read up on it because I, I really wanted to talk about this topic and bring it to the attention of our community. And mm, this is just going to be, yeah, it's just so valuable. I think one mm. thing to, to note is that um, from the things that I've read online as well, is that, for instance, Hashimoto's patients who go on LDN, they get better so quickly that um, if they're not doing it with the help of a health professional, uh, they don't know how to taper off the medications as quickly as they should. So they'd be, they'd be taking too much medication while they're, and they've already started healing. So highly recommend that you get as educated as you can on the topic before you delve in. Make sure that your doctor is on board with this and knows how to guide you through the journey. Uh, and uh, if you need more information about all that, we're going to be putting in links to the LDN Research Trust uh, and uh, the book as well in the podcast show notes. So really, um, if you have any questions, uh, send them through to us. We might do a follow-up on this uh, podcast as well. Really exciting stuff, and we can't wait to hear what you guys do with it. And uh, really mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is this has just been amazing, Linda. Thank you so much for being here with us, and um, I hope to stay in touch and to get you back on the show soon to talk a little bit more as well to the audience that we have with any more questions. Thank you. Can I just say one more quick thing? Mm-hmm. When you were talking about Hashimoto's, people that are taking thyroid medication have to be monitored carefully. Um, because you will find that they need to taper off the medication for the um, the thyroid medication. If not, yeah. they can make themselves quite unwell. And the other thing that I didn't mention that is very important um, point is that you cannot take LDN with an opiate-based painkiller. That is uh, a no-no. You can't have both of those in your system at the same time. So if you are on an opiate painkiller and you'd like to try LDN you have to be weaned off the opiate medication first with the aid of a medical professional you you wouldn't be able to do it on your own but you need to come off those before starting LDN and I guess that's the kind of thing that um, Mary the um, pharmacist can explain to doctors if they talk to her exactly Um, and in the fact sheet that the doctors yes everything is there and it makes Yes. Um, we had one lady who saw a private doctor and assured him she was taking no medication whatsoever and she was actually taking morphine. And she started the LDN and she ended up in um, intensive care because right. she went into severe withdrawal. So, you know, don't even think about it, you know, until you are weaned off opiate-based painkillers. That is a, a really... Big deal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great advice. All the more reason for you to be really consulting with your health professional on this and make sure that you're super educated and that they know what you're doing, especially, you know, this is uh, not a, the kind of intervention we usually talk about on the show, which is usually a diet based one. Um, This is uh, 
a medication. So even though it isn't a low dose, it is so profound in its impact on your body. And all the testimonials that you read online will testify to this. It's so potent and so powerful, even though it's in a low dose, that uh, your symptoms may start changing so rapidly that you'll have to know how to deal with it. So, um, Again, Linda, thank you so much. Um, and uh, chat to you soon. Really, really appreciate having you on board. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.